Um, all right, so we are in, uh, I don't know, the Gospels as well as Deuteronomy, uh, some sort of like go-between between these things. Um, so we are in this series looking at how Jesus has fulfilled the law, how he is the fulfiller of the law. And specifically, we're thinking about in terms of how he has fulfilled the covenant that was given to Israel. So we've been looking through this, and um, I really wanted to do this series as we were wrapping up Deuteronomy, because I think a lot of times we hear this statement from the Gospels, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so the question in my mind always is, okay, I get Jesus fulfills the law, but like, how? What does that look like? What does it look like that Jesus is the fulfiller of the law? And so when we came to uh, that point in Deuteronomy where it's describing the scroll set beside the covenant, or set beside the Ark of the Covenant, I'm thinking, oh, like this scroll is the perfect witness against Israel. Who is the perfect witness against Israel but Jesus himself who came in flesh? And so I've just been exploring this idea of how Jesus is the fulfiller of the covenant itself. And so for the past few weeks, you've seen us go through um, what it looks like for, uh, for Jesus as the, in respect to the temple, because the first thing that he tells them to do is not to put any image of any gods in, uh, in, you know, in, in the Ten Commandments, like the first three commandments. One of them is, do not put any other gods before me, right? And so that looks like the temple and how God revealed himself to the people through the temple. Um, next, we saw him describe how we are to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? And Jesus describes very clearly, shows very clearly how we are to live in respect to the Sabbath and to festivals and what we are to do with these things. And so today, we're just kind of walking down, as you'll see me do through the next few weeks, walking down through the Ten Commandments and seeing Jesus now dealing with our heritage. How are we to honor our father and mother? I brought an object lesson today. I've got a father and mother in town. So, you know, we're honoring, bring honor to my, to my parents. Yes, this is good. Honor them. What does that mean? <laughs> we're going to figure that out. Um, and so one of the other cool things about Deuteronomy is that you've got this Ten Commandments, but you also got a breakout of all these ideas of things that relate to that. And we're going to kind of explore that today because I don't think that honoring your father and mother just stops there. I think what he's getting at with the Ten Commandments saying honor your father and mother entails quite a bit more as is expanded on in the covenant renewal document. So we're going to jump through quite a few issues here. And as you've uh, seen me do... Uh, throughout this series, I'm going to quickly highlight some components of the law and like walk through those pieces and, and what they are and how I'm going to direct them. And then I'm going to walk through uh, um, and then about how to follow Jesus in light of, uh, of, you know, of, of the way Jesus deals with these law components. So today we're looking at Jesus and his interaction with heritage. How do we live in respect to what we have received from our parents? So, naturally, I have this question for you. We should have called this series, like, Restoration of the Cinema. It's probably the closest thing we're going to get to this, but here we go. What in the world is Darth Vader saying right here? Anybody know? What is Darth Vader saying? How many people know? How many people know? Wait, 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 wait. How many people know... What Darth Vader is saying right here. Okay, I've got some good hands. All right. I think, what's your confidence level? 
Jose. Pretty confident. Connor? 100%. Uh, kids, how, how confident are you that you know? Okay, who should I ask first, Connor and Jose or the kids? All right, okay. All right, Eli. Okay, okay, that is, that is a good chunk of it. I am your father. Anybody know what else he might, well, how does he start that phrase? Anybody? No, no, just before, I am your father. Claire, what does he say? Interesting. Connor, what does he say? <laughs> Jose, what does he say? <laughs> yes, Jose is correct. No, I am your father. Yeah, everyone gets that. He kinda, it's kind of funny. I mean, I could see how he gets mistaken pretty easily because he kind of like stumbles in his word right there. It's very tightly said. But the phrase is actually, no, I am your father. And, uh, and so, yeah, Darth Vader says, no, I am, I am your father. Um, how does that relate? Well, loosely. Loosely. Uh, <laughs> um, so a, a couple things, right? You know from the Ten Commandments, this, uh, this command, right? The fourth commandment. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You are born to a father and mother. Father and mother had you, right? And that's, that's a fact of life, Right? And so you are to honor your father and mother. That's the call to Israel. You are to honor them, okay? We kind of know that, that that's an important thing. We're going to explore how Jesus does that throughout this time. But I would also say that in addition to being uh, born to a father and mother, you also are born into a particular time and location. You didn't choose that either, right? Just as much as you didn't choose your parents, you didn't choose the country you grew up in, you didn't choose the state that you were born in, you didn't choose the hospital that you uh, were, were, were brought, brought to life in. Uh, so your time and location are also inclusive of some things. And the reason I make this connection is because when, uh, when Moses expands on the Ten Commandments, the things he includes in this section pertain to leadership that is inherited, that all the people of Israel are going to live in the land in such a way that they're under judges, they're under kings, they're under priests. And just as they're to honor their father and mother, they're to honor the heritage, the culture heritage even, that they have received, to honor that. Um, so I think there's a number of authorities that we are born under, right? Firstly, our parents and chiefly our parents. Hopefully they are honoring to their parents and their parents and their parents. And who, who makes up that big group of people that is coagulated together, but a nation, but a state, whatever that, dim, whatever that uh, slice is, we're to be honoring of the authority in which we have fallen under. We're to honor the time and location that we've been born to. You can see the struggle, right, in, in, uh, in this scene, right? You can see the struggle. Uh, the next picture of this is Luke struggling with the fact that his very dad is Darth Vader. How do I deal with that? My dad is the leader of the empire. He is wrestling with it and come to tears and agony in that moment, right? So how do you deal with this fact that you're connected to a father and mother that may not be perfect, uh, you're connected to a nation and a state and a city that may not be perfect, and leaders among those things that may not be perfect. How do we honor in the midst of that? 
in Deuteronomy, uh, we see, you know, again, the appointing of all sorts of authorities, including um, judges. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes, that they shall judge you, uh, judge the people with righteous judgment. Uh, we see the giving of the priests, the Levitical priests, all the tribe of Levi shall have no portion of inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food offerings as an inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. Uh, there's the potential of kings for this people. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it, you will say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose, one from among your brothers who shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. So you see in the covenant just this listing of, yeah, there are potential authorities that will come up as you are moving into this land. Chiefly, yes, the, uh, the authority that you were born under, your father and your mother, but then also all these other authorities of judges and priests and king that you may come upon. So I think we see in the covenant this call to fall under the authority that you've been born to, fall under the parents that you've been born to and honor them and the priests and judges and kings, all these people that you are to submit to and listen to and honor. So how does Jesus deal with all these things? How does he fulfill the law, the law's call to us to be honoring of these authorities that have been set in place? It's very easy to, when you talk about authorities to, and to say, hey, you need to submit to these things uh, to, to struggle with that. Because when you've got this uh, group of imperfect people that are broken, the, you know, the call to those leaders is also to hold their end of the bargain and be righteous in their own right. Right? The judges are called to give righteous rules. The king is called to be appointed by God. The priest is called to have the Lord as his inheritance. These leaders that are set in place also have a responsibility. And so there's this tension because you are called to honor them, but sometimes they are not being very honorable themselves. And so how does Jesus deal with honoring the law that's calling us to be honoring of these authorities and yet you know, maybe that's a little more difficult to do, not as clear to do, because how does it conflict with other things? So let's look at this real quick then. How does Jesus, what does Jesus' treatment of authorities look like in his life? Firstly, with his parents. How did Jesus treat his parents? Uh, a number of ways. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plow through some stories here to give you a, just a, a quick, you know, uh, overview of, of what I've seen, just kind of uh, studying this out. First, he submits to their authority, right? The very first uh, interaction we see with him as a kiddo is that he has been taken to the temple, and he's there uh, lost, actually, in Jerusalem during a festival. And they leave without him and come back. And you might remember this from Luke 2. Um, and he, uh, they, they came in, you know, looking all over for him. They find him finally, and they found him in the temple, he says, where did you think I would be? I'm, I'm in my father's house, right? You guys remember the story? Everyone tracking with me on that, right? And so what happens after they come and find him? Does he stay in the temple as a, you know, set apart at that moment? No. Luke 2, 51 to 52, and he went down with them, his parents, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. 
When his parents came looking for him, he went with them. And it says he became submissive to them. That's like blows, that's got to blow your mind, right? Like Jesus became submissive to his parents. Jesus, the creator of the world, has submit himself to his parents. He was already like hanging out in the temple, dodging, you know, philosophical questions with priests and, you know, all, the, all these scholars. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to go, okay, I'll go be submissive to my, to my parents. He honored his father's trade, we see that Jesus in life became a carpenter. I mean, that's a very important thing that he followed. I, okay, I've got a lot of uh, very small text here. But it's a very important thing that he walked in his father's footsteps. We don't think about that that often, but, you know, that's a very honoring thing to do. I know that, like, um, you know, if you're a dad and you see your son doing something that you've been doing that's just a joy, right? When I, okay, so yesterday, this is going to come up a couple of times, okay? Because, just because of who I am, okay? I'm so I'm sorry. Jose can relate to me because he's practically a cowboy now. So it, it's totally, right? You're a cowboy. He's a Cowboys <laughs> fan. He watched the game last night. Okay, it was, it's great to me, right, to see Roy walking around with his backpack and his OSU shirt and his OSU hat flipped backwards as we're going to meet my parents at, at the Airbnb, yesterday, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm dead. Like, forget about it. <laughs> forget about it, right? It is an honor to me. It feels so good to see something passed down, right? And in the same way, Jesus honored his father's trade of carpentry. In Mark 6, 1 to 6, uh, they're kind of uh, knocking on him because he is in his town of Nazareth, and they say, don't we know this kid? Isn't he Mary's son? Isn't he Joseph's son? This carpenter, isn't he the brother of James and, and Judas? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him because of the things he was saying about the kingdom of God. So don't we know? Don't we know his parents? He's just a carpenter. Jesus was willing to submit to the humble trade of a carpenter, even though he is the creator of the world. It's the honoring of his father's trade. He's honoring of his mother's request. You know the story and his first miracle recorded in John 2. Okay, sorry for this. I did not mean to do the small text here. Sorry. I don't know. Don't even worry. John 2, uh, 1 to 12 is where we find that story of the wedding at Cana, and they run out of wine, and Mary comes to Jesus, and, and the servant says, hey, you know, you can change this water into wine. Get them some wine. Do something, right? And he's like, no, no, it's not my time. It's not my time. And she's, you have this real tension of mother and son at this moment, and she says, do whatever he says right? And he then goes forward and starts his ministry there in John by changing water into wine. Was it his time? I mean, you kind of left wrestling with that question mark as the interaction happens, like, okay, so Jesus doesn't want to do this yet, but he's going to go ahead and do it. Like, <laughs> how do you deal with that? Other than you can see on the very face of it that he's honoring to his mother's request, right? And goes ahead and does it. We can have a big, long debate about whether he meant to start it then or whether he didn't mean to start it then. doesn't really matter. Let's go to the emotion of it. His mom comes to him and says, hey, son, fix this. I know you can. Fix it. And he fixes it. He's honoring of his mother's request. He's caring for his mother's well-being. And in the last moment of his life, he's hanging on a cross, right? Thinking of the sins of the world that are upon him thinking of the death that he is dying right now for the entire world that he created. And at his feet is his mom 
and John and some others. And it says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. He cared for his mom until the end. Jesus clearly honors the honor, clearly shows us how to honor our parents. He even calls out the Pharisees when they misapply this very command. In Matthew uh, 15, 1 to 9, um, it says this, The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And Jesus answered them, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother shall surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching teaching as doctrines the commandments of men." In this moment, okay, he's calling them out because they're calling out him for like not washing hands. And he's like, okay, listen, let's take it to a deeper level, okay, than just washing hands. You don't even honor your parents. You don't even honor your parents. And this is how. You will say to a man, hey, since you have set aside a portion of your wealth as given to God, you no longer need to honor your parents by taking care of them in an older age. It's the tradition of korban, korban. Corbin, I don't know exactly how to pronounce it, but basically what you could do is you could say, okay, all the wealth I earn, I'm going to set up and basically give it to the temple in the end as a, as a, a like a planned retirement gift, right? I'm gaining all this wealth, and at the end, I'm going to give it to the temple. And as a result, that money no longer can be used to provide for your mom and dad when they are in hard times. So for the sake of tradition, you are throwing out the honoring of your parents. And that's what he's telling him. He said, you guys are crazy. You are missing the very commandment of Scripture, the basic, the first commandment toward uh, another human, which is to honor your father and your mother. This is how bad you are at keeping the commandments when he's talking to them about, about uh, washing their hands. Okay. Okay, so he treats his parents well and holds up this idea of honoring father and mother. Uh, So how did Jesus treat other authorities of his day? Not just his parents, but other authorities. Well, he holds up the tradition and office of the priest. When he cleanses the leper, you might remember this from Mark 1, 40 to 45, the leper comes to him, they make him clean, and what happens once he makes him clean, he sends him to the priest. You would think at this point that like Jesus healing people and making them perfectly well indicates that he is able to like, you know, provide for them and like do, do everything that's needed for their cleansing. But instead, after he heals the leper, he says, go show yourself to the priest. Say nothing to anyone and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. He says, submit unto this. 
He's upholding the priesthood. Say, hey, listen, you've, you've got a healing. Now you need to go give an offering in respect to uh, what has ha- happened to you and prove that you are cleansed, and then you can re-enter the worship of the community. He's honoring to the priesthood. He's honoring to the system under which Israel is living, which is Rome, right? The Pharisees come and ask him, hey, uh, uh, do, you guys, do you guys pay your taxes? What do you think? Tell us, what do, you, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Right? And Jesus, aware that they're trying to trap him, says, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. They bring him the denarius, and Jesus says, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they say Caesar's. And then he said to them, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled and left him and went away. Every time they try and trap him with the law, with legal things, he fulfills the truth of the law and the spirit of the law and says, no, 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 you've got it mixed up. He honors the authorities that are placed over his life, including his parents, including the priesthood, including the kingship of Rome at this time and their, their financial system. He said, whose, whose coin is that? I mean, let's just give it back to him. Who cares? I've got all I need. Yeah, pay the, pay the man the tax. It's not an issue of holiness. It's not an issue of righteousness. Give the man the tax. It's his coin. Jesus is honoring of the, the time and location to which he came. So here's the question for us. If Jesus is going to not take away anything from the law, but rather uphold it and honor it and lift it up, how do we follow Jesus' fulfillment of his own heritage? Um, before I jump into these three things, uh, I want to say this. To honor is not necessarily to obey. I think a lot of times we get words kind of like mixed together as if they're synonyms. Okay? Honor is not equal to obedience all the time. Sometimes obedience is honoring. Sometimes to obey is an honoring thing to do. But honor does not mean that you obey whatever the authority is saying to you. Jesus upheld and guarded the authorities he was born to, but he also knew that these authorities were broken and he wasn't afraid to follow his father in heaven instead of the authorities under which he was in. So firstly, honor your parents, right? Honor your parents, but follow Jesus. Honor your parents, but follow Jesus. Mark 3 31 to 35. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him and said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. There's a point at which in Jesus' life that he had to show people that there is an important thing you have to do sometimes. His honoring of his parents to follow the Father in heaven. 
It is honoring of them. He's not obeying them, right? His mom and his brothers are saying, hey, come, come out to me. I'm your mom. I'm your brother. You need to come out to me right now. And Jesus says, um, no, <laughs> that's, that you, you don't get to direct me at where I'm at right now. God is directing me right now, and I'm teaching on the kingdom of God, and I'm, I'm busy doing that. And so who are my mother and brothers but those who do the will of God? Um, I have a very personal example of this, right? Okay, so Christy and I, when I was graduating seminary, are saying, okay, where do we go? Where do we go after this? We know we're going to go into church planting. We know we want to go into church planting, and that's what the Lord is calling us to. So we're, we're searching, okay, where do we go? And two places are in the radar for us, Fayetteville, Arkansas, and Clearwater, Florida. And just spare you the, you know, make it long story short, right? There's two places that are kind of on the table for us as we're praying through it. One is much closer to where my parents live and to where her parents lived at the time. I know where my parents' wishes were. I know that they would have loved for us to be closer. I know that my, my uh, wife's parents would have loved for us to be closer. And there have even been times since that where opportunities came that it was like, okay, we could be closer, and that would be a great thing. But I'm not called to fulfill the desires of my parents. I'm ca- called to fulfill the desires of my Father in heaven. And sometimes those are in conflict. Yeah, they weren't calling me to obey that, but I could definitely see some scenarios where that hand would be a lot heavier for other people. My parents have not been that way with us, and I can praise God for that. They have supported us wherever we have gone, even though that has taken us hours and hours away at many times. And so I'm glad to be able to honor them that they said they didn't pressure us to make a decision to come closer to home. And many parents would, and they didn't because they knew that we were following the Lord and our calling and trying to follow where God was calling us to go. So I'm glad that that wasn't, you know, some big conflict, but you can feel the heart in it, right? And we could feel the heart in it, right? A desire to be closer to family is a good thing. But is what God told us to do? No, they're in conflict. So yes, honor your parents, but follow Jesus, and sometimes you've got to let the tension of that work itself out over time. I'm grateful to have a mom and dad who love Jesus and who have reconciled that distance with the Lord. It hadn't been easy. It's not easy. Honor your parents, but follow Jesus. Honor your elders, but follow Jesus. We talk about at, at times when we walk through kind of the what the church looks like in respect to Israel and how how this thing moves forward. And yeah, there's authorities in Israel of uh, judges and priests and kings and all this. Uh, In the church, there's a a structure for authority as well. And and there's elders that are there. And so uh, there's a calling in the church to follow, uh, to submit to those who are entrusted with your care, to eldership. So 1 Peter 5, 1 to 5 says, um, speaking to the elders and to the church. So I exhort elders among you as, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partakers in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, 
not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to to the humble." God is calling us as we lead a church for a leadership of people to lead the church well and for the church to submit under that and say, okay, we're going to trust that the elders are making good decisions about where we are to go and what we're to do next. Jesus was not afraid to call out the elders in his time when they were doing wrong. Because the truth is, that's the case in the church today, and it was the case in the, in the time that Jesus came to. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 29 to 36, calls them out plainly and bluntly. I mean, you think about the language about how Jesus fulfills the law, how he upholds what is true. He is holding the leaders to a standard that is perfection. And so this is what he says to them. Matthew 23, 29 to 36, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Man, that doesn't sound very honoring of your elders, right? Does it sound honoring to your elders to say, Woe to you, you hypocrites. It gets worse. You build the tombs of prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our father, we would not have taken part with them, shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some who you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, these things will come upon you in this generation." Jesus was not afraid to speak to the leaders in his time and say what is true. Did that feel honoring? Did that feel like an honoring statement? Is honoring of the leadership they should be, for sure. They needed to hear that truth. They needed to hear very plainly from this man who was doing miracles and changing and transforming the lives of people and preaching of the kingdom of God to say, you guys are not on the boat. You're a brood of vipers among this people. So honor your elders, but follow Jesus. Unfortunately, there have been many, many times in our church history where elders have gone so far astray to the destruction of churches and their people over and over and over again. Why is that the case? Because we aren't honoring Jesus enough by confronting the elders when we need to. We need to confront leadership and say, hey, this is wrong, and this is why it's wrong. Jesus was willing to do that. He honored his elders, but he followed his Father in heaven. And and we too ought to honor our elders, but we need to follow Jesus. Finally, Jesus honored the king. Sorry, we are to honor the king, but we are to follow Jesus. We see Jesus in his interaction uh, with Pilate. And he's during his, um, right before his crucifixion, he's on trial, right? He's going back and forth between Herod and Pilate, and he's not crying out. I mean, think about 
honoring the process of, uh, of, of the jurisdiction, right? I mean, like, Jesus could have bucked that at any moment just by his power, just by his innocence, right? At any moment, he could have cried out and truly taken himself out of that situation. But instead, even as he's before Pilate, he says this just amazing exchange in John 18, 33 to 40. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting and that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? And Jesus answered, You say that I am king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release you the king of the Jews? And they cried out, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Even in this moment, right, Jesus is faced with, are you a king? Not of this world. Yeah, you've got your structure and everything, and it turns out like, I'm good. Whatever happens here, I'm good, because my kingdom is not of this world, right? I know that we feel this tension, and we've felt this tension in, in ways in our country and all these sorts of things. Um, like, when are we submitting to authorities and when are we not submitting to authorities? And this question has come up, you know, for all, all sorts of reasons. I'm just going to leave them there. There's like always all sorts of new reasons to have this question about who are we submitting to in authorities. But at the end of the day, your authority is God in heaven. And you can carry out your authority to God in heaven with respect for the place you've been born. Jesus is there at his crucifixion, just before his crucifixion. And Pilate is saying, are you the king? He said, not of this world. If he were more forceful with it, he could have said, yeah, I am the king. Right? He could have said, yeah, I'm, I'm king. I'm king over you and you and all, all of you. I'm king over all of you. That's what he could have said, because it's true. <laughs> but it's, he simply said, I'm not a king of this world. You've got your thing, and you're doing it, and you know what? It can't actually affect me in the end because my kingdom is not from this world. So I challenge you um, when you come up against these questions of, do I honor the king? Who are you serving? Like, where, where are we serving, right? Like, what, what are we concerned about? Are we concerned about the comfort that the king of this world is bringing us and submitting to that? Or are we, com- are we, uh, are we concerned about the king of heaven and following him? and the kingdom that is not of this world. Because when you're honoring the king of heaven, whose kingdom is not of this world, these little squabbles about our, you know, things that are happening here on earth are much smaller. They get a lot smaller. Like Jesus was ready to set aside the fact that he was about to go to a cross, okay, in this interaction with Pilate, in this debate conversation with Pilate, say, yeah, it's all good. <laughs> I know I'm about to die on a cross. My kingdom's not of this world. 
Like, how, how can we deal with that in our life, right? My allegiance is to something that is far greater than anything I will have to be subjected to in this life. And the blood of the martyrs speaks the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah, you can kill me, but you will never slay me. Go ahead, take my life. I am alive in Christ forever. That's the posture of Jesus before the kings. He didn't have any problem submitting to what they're going to do to him, right? Because his kingdom is not of this world. Jesus upholds the law. He fulfills it. He is honoring to his parents. He's honoring to every single authority. He's willing to challenge them, right? But he is honoring to them as well. And so for us, we have to wrestle with these couple of things. First, honor your parents in recognition over, of God's authority over your life. Honor your parents. Who chose to whom you'd be born? Your parents or God? He placed you where you are. He knew you in your mother's womb. He formed you there, right? So our honoring of our parents is a recognition that God has put me where I'm at. I'm not going to pretend to say that that is easy. It's not. And in my life, honestly, it's been a whole heck of a lot easier than it is for a lot of people I know. I'm glad that my parents stayed together, that they're around. That's a blessing that I never knew was so huge. But for so many of you, for so many of us, our parents are broken so much that it's hurting us now. It's hurting us to this day. How do we honor our parents in that scenario? It doesn't mean you obey them necessarily. You can honor them by honoring the king of heaven. Second, obedience shows honor, but honor is not always obedience. You can honorably disobey. First, for the good of those entrusted to you, right? If if you're protecting your spouse or protecting your children or protecting someone that's been placed in your care, and you have to disobey the kingly authority for the protection of these, that might be a case. And finally, in obedience to higher authority. Jesus did not listen to the desire of his mother and his brothers, but rather continued in what God was calling him to do. He said, who are my mother and my brothers? My obedience is to a higher authority. I'm going to honor them, yes, and I'm going to love them and care for them from the beginning of my life to the end, but I am called to do what I'm called to do by the king of heaven. 
Jesus was so willing to come under the authority to which he was born that he would take it to a cross. A cross he didn't deserve. And so the challenge to us is to wrestle with it. I'm not, I'm not saying honoring your parents or honoring the authorities that are above you. Maybe that's your boss. Maybe that's, uh, you know, the judge or, you know, whoever that may be that is in some authority position over you, a coach, right? Like any of these things is easy. It's not. It's almost always not. You almost always don't want to go uh, practice two-a-days at, you know, for football, right? You, almost ne- you don't want to obey that, right? You don't want to submit to that kind of leadership. You don't want to submit to these things. It's hard to do. But it's a recognition of where God has you. And ultimately, it's a, it's a recognition of where your hope lies. Just like Christ, his hope lied in eternity. His hope lied in what he was doing for the entire world by giving himself on a cross. And in the same way for us, as we endure whatever we endure, under whether, whatever authority we endure it under, we do so not serving a kingdom of this world, but rather serving a kingdom that is bigger than this. So when we follow Jesus' example Yes, to honor our parents, to honor authorities. May we honor our parents, but follow him. May we honor our elders, but follow Jesus. May we honor the king, but follow Jesus. Let's pray. We're so grateful. Um, We're so grateful for the opportunity to worship this morning to come before you, ultimately to set aside this time to recognize your authority in our lives. Just like we learned last week, Lord, we give this time to you. We honor you with it. We recognize that um, you're worthy of it. God, we desire that, uh, that our lives will be submitted to you Help us, God, as we struggle with the tension of of honoring our heritage, whether it be our parents or or the nation we've been born in or the the city we've been born in, the church in which we serve. God, we pray you would help us to honor the authority you've placed us under in the same way that Jesus did with humility, submitting to where we have been placed by your glory and your authority. Lord, you say that you have uh, chosen the places in which we dwell, that others might call out upon you and know you as Lord. And so God, I pray that, that we would take on this burden well, that where we are born to and to whom we are born to, we would honor by our life. Thank you for giving us a perfect picture of what that might look like. As you went to the cross, endured the scorn and shame of it, fixing your eyes 
upon what is ahead. Would help us have the same perspective. Would help us submit to what you've brought us under. For what you have ahead of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.